Welcome to Bandsplainer, the podcast where we explain bands. I'm Olivia Ladd, a music journalist in Nashville, and I'm really curious about retro and cult bands and the history behind their music. Every time I'm out with friends, we end up talking about bands that we love, sharing personal anecdotes and facts, and talking about why we like their music so much. So I decided to record these conversations and create a space where we can go in depth and share with other people who love music. On this show, I pick a band with a cult following and have a guest from the music scene here in Nashville hop on to delve into the history surrounding that band. We go into their discography and give context about not only the music, but also the art, politics, influences, and different forms of media surrounding these artists, in turn, giving you a better understanding about their art. I hope this podcast helps someone find their new favorite band or helps someone learn something new about a band they've always loved. You can follow at Bandsplainer on Twitter to keep up with new episodes, and you can always find more episodes on olivialad.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Bandsplainer, the show where we explain bands. And today we're going to talk about the history and music of Black Flag, one of my favorite punk bands. And today's guest is Zach Prosser, and he's a musician here in Nashville. You can go ahead and introduce yourself, talk about what you do. Sure. Hey, uh, I'm Zach Prosser. I'm really glad to be talking about a band that I would be talking about anyway. Yeah, um, I'm a musician, producer, and songwriter, and all that artsy-fartsy shit, and uh, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just glad to be here to talk about hardcore punk rock. Talking about punk rock. Nice. That's what we're going to do. If you haven't heard this podcast before, the basic format is for someone who's maybe never heard of this band or never like gotten into them or maybe they just know that one song, you know. So we're going to go into all the weird and wonderful things that you may not know or you may know about this band, but hopefully you'll learn something and get turned on to Black Flag. So they are considered one of the first hardcore punk bands, if not maybe the first to really like nail in that genre. So they formed in 1976 and ran until 1986. Um, Good decade. Solid decade of music, which is like... Yeah, to continually improve that much in a decade, because some bands it takes like, I don't know, three decades to grow that much. Like even Radiohead or whatever, like doesn't evolve their genre that quickly. Yeah, Radiohead. Maybe you can learn something from some (laughs) OC punks. From the real punks. For some Los Angeles area punkers yeah so they were one of the first bands in the socal scene in the late 70s when like all this proto-punk is happening primarily in new york and then bands like melvin's and minutemen and black flag are like starting this unheard of unprecedented mm-hmm. scene in socal which is kind of what makes them so cool is they totally just like started from nothing like they created this whole new scene and genre yeah the Minutemen were actually on Greg Ginn the guitar player and main songwriter for Black Flag his his label SST uh they toured together and stuff like that uh, the Minutemen were really like kind of scared of Black Flag audiences but I'd love to see one of those shows oh I know and you know our kids are gonna get to go back in time by chewing some <laughs> pill or something and they're gonna get to they're see gonna all get the to bands see Black that we want. Flag, yeah, yeah. motherfuckers uh, but you know you mentioned um different coasts which I think is kind of cool because it was really a different like east coast west yeah. coast I think okay 
I'm going to say a lot of things on this podcast that are just, there's at least a kernel of truth in here because I might be confused, but I remember reading a, um, uh, some stuff about Black Flag and whatnot, um, and I think Flea said it. He said, you know, he grew up in the Los Angeles area, and he said, you know, the West Coast has like a different disease than the East Coast does. Yeah. And it was very different, like, take on punk and art and stuff. Yeah, like it totally was. Because you had, it started, you know, on, on the East Coast, it was more like this jangly rock, and then it goes into like new wave, and mm-hmm. a lot of that's influenced by like Brit rock and stuff going on at the time. And then, yeah, SoCal, I feel like it was a lot of obviously in all of Black Flag's music, but frustration, and Mm -hmm. they wanted this new type of art, and they incorporated fear and violence and just frustration with the status quo and, like, the, the, like, extravagance of Los Angeles culture when they're living in near poverty, and all of that really, like, comes to drive, like, at the end of all the records. Like, they were very nuanced in their, like, political... Um, messages like it was never like a protest song it was like an ironic song and that like some people took it seriously or like whatever and so Mm -hmm. they were very good about like maybe not even subliminal but like ironic or like different ways of delivering this like idea of politics without it being like in your face yeah I think I think the number one thing that was not confusing about their message was fuck the police yeah that's that's a pretty standard current through there and like obviously um i don't know usually i'm sure people listening know who henry rollins is and how he's like i mean he does everything he's in movies tvs brilliant man activist brilliant Um, man i i've said this and i will say it again a very good male role model we don't have very many of them yeah and and that's exactly and we will talk probably more about him once we get to like the breakup uh, stage and all that, but mm-hmm. like his like anti homophobia stance is like really what drove a lot oh, of that yeah. music because he grew up being bullied and saw his friends bullied and uh you know that's kind of like the Kurt Cobain story whatever but it's around that time when it wasn't accepted and he's like singing songs like or there's you know spoken word where he's like kill a queer like whatever oh, yeah. and he like and you know so people like some people conservatives that didn't like his music would hear that and think he was you know but he was really like giving them a taste of like what they're saying mm-hmm. and it's this ironic delivery. very anti-toxic masculinity you, know, you yeah. can look at him and you can see him and you can be like oh he's a real macho guy but he actually did this thing that the bbc did in the late 90s uh, i think it's called like the gender test or something and it's uh, basically interviews with like famous artists or actors actresses and stuff like that and it kind of fundamentally maps out the gender roles of their brain and when they did his test he seemed like he scored way more feminine on most of you know all this kind of stuff and it's kind of he's got one one quote that i really really like that i really take to heart here in 2018 which is um the rest of you guys are fucking this up for me do not make being a man like do not make me look bad because i'm a man like yeah you're a shithead that doesn't mean that i am you use your masculinity in really negative ways and all this kind of stuff yeah he was very outspoken about that and he even was like went to a military school Mm -hmm. and like was a weightlifter so he's almost like conditioned to be that and he just like became the opposite of it and 
I mean, I think that makes for really great art, just breaking yeah. out of, like, the roles you're supposed to be in or that are, like, forced on you because that you can't make art within that. You mm-hmm. have to break out of those, like, boundaries. And he really did that. And that, like, just for the punk scene in general established so much because, you know, a decade later you have Riot Girl and all these things that, like, men weren't allowing those types of people to be seen or heard or make music. And he was one that kind of, like, paved a way for that and yeah. opened a door. Like, being like, um, you know, this fucking, like, toxic-ass patriarchy shit is just like the cops. Yeah, yeah. You know? And he so compared it, yeah, he compared it to real-life things, which now in 2018 is like, oh, yeah, we get the whole, like, prison industrial complex mm-hmm. and, like, police brutality, like, with gender roles and, like all these things but he like was connecting those when a lot of people weren't when people were like sustaining that in society and so he's like well you know the police are you know so violent and powerful because of this like you know withstanding patriarchal like model for our society and yeah it was like connecting all in those the things. punk culture too yeah yeah like, and that's uh, that's a big thing is uh, i believe like a big problem with really anything is that any subculture will reflect like the values of the culture it like derives or from. they'll they'll try and break from them but really they're just doing a mini version yeah you know, like yeah. a mini fascist and that's what like punk i mean in some circles still is but it like at that time because it was so new it kind of was like with that masculinity and he like totally wasn't going to put up with that subculture like one of the one of the things that was cool about um henry rollins specifically and greg ginn's lyrics because greg ginn the guitar player wrote a lot of the lyrics as well he uh they had a good sense of like they kind of blew the lid off the punk archetype which started in 1977 with like black leather jacket big mohawk maybe you know, tight plaid bondage stuff, which is fine, but like, they kind of ref, they they were kind of like a mirror, like they showed punk, like, oh look, you're being a piece of shit. Oh yeah. Rather totally. than being like, let's perpetuate this 1977, yeah. you know, like kind of image. I guess. Oh yeah, I mean, he would go on stage in nothing but a pair of shorts, and he would like grind his teeth into the microphone oh, yeah. until the show started, and that just right there, Cut he himself was just up showing with glass like, and stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah. crazy, crazy stuff in their live show. Uh, Allen um, Ginsberg said that he uh, looked like a kabuki dancer because he undulated and writhed. And that's stuff. crazy. So a big thing, which I guess I have some actual quotes once we get into like the discography, but like. The coolest thing to me about Black Flag is when you look at these, like, um, fanzines, which I'm a really big fan of zines. Like, I try to collect cool ones. You know, if they're not too expensive, I'll order them if I find them or whatever. And uh, these original zines that, like, some kid was making in his basement, they're, like, 60 pages long. You know, they would do one every week. Crazy. And um, I guess a main person who did the zines is really Raymond Pettibon, which is Gin's brother. brother. Yeah. And so he actually designed the Black Flag logo. Mm -hmm. And, like, that was for their first single um, and Nervous Breakdown and all that stuff. They used that imagery. And then that moved in their other album covers and like the whole tattoo thing and it's you know a Honestly, huge punk image now you know music is kind of like food where it's kind of one of those things where like maybe you eat with your eyes a little bit and since they 
flyered so much. I think one time they said that they never made less than 500 flyers for each show. Yeah, yeah. I was going to mention that. They had 500 flyers for every show. And not to mention, these shows were all DIY. Like, they, they were like, oh, well, we don't like the venues in LA, so we're going to Oh, yeah, playing in boxing crazy, matches. Yeah, crazy places. Playgrounds and stuff um, like And that. they would spray paint the symbol. And they had these art campaigns. And, like, with Raymond Pettibon zines, like... They had, like, one of them was called the Creepy Crawl, like, mm, was their yeah. art concept. Yeah, and so they had all this, like, Charles Manson imagery and, like, almost On pornographic. Yeah, like, They're and they had, like, Jesus you know, Christ. like, a Superman that was naked, like, with all the genitalia out you know, and things like that. Like, that was an image, and then they would be like, come see Black Flag yeah. play. Like, it was shock value, but it was more than that. It was people really questioning, like, the values of this turning point in American culture. Like, they were so ahead of their time. Yeah. Like, you know, Raymond Pettibon, honestly, I think is a real unsung hero of not just the punk movement or, like, Black Flag, but just art in the 1980s. And oh, yeah. It was kind of funny because he was a real kind of just chill guy didn't really you know he wasn't very loud or anything and they were just like hey ray can we get art because they loved his art and he's like yeah, yeah, yeah. take take this you know you can have this and like i remember hearing uh rollins and chuck dukowski which was like the bass player slash manager yeah. for the band and um they were like there was this two-year stint where the only thing he would give us were naked men so there's that's why there's all these like great flyers online yeah. and stuff. I'm just like dudes with yeah. their dicks out. It's so cool. I've gotten to like hold you know see like some of that like an original copy of some of the zines and like I don't know he just did whatever he wanted. Like there's yeah. a lot of great artists at that time. Like but just yeah it was like unfiltered. Yeah. It wasn't really taking anything. It wasn't yeah. copying anything. Yeah, anything. and that's that's exactly what black flag is, black flag is like. It always comes back to that. Like they truly like. I don't think they had any interest in being like anyone else. Like they just weren't trying to like emulate anyone. And they, I feel like their inspiration was themselves. And they say that in interviews, like their songs, like, you know, other than a couple of our songs, like the message is just what's going on in our heads. Uh -huh. Like it's not like some big statement. Like, and so they, yeah, they really just like were inspired by themselves and their yeah. own like ideas. And, like, they, one of the best things about that band. And one of the things that I think affected the fact that they, pushed punk rock to and post-punk so far and created hardcore was because like you know how we were talking about like the differences between east coast and west yeah, coast yeah yeah it seems like the east coast was really focused on new and future stuff and they wanted to add art to that and they wanted to push things forward whereas like the west coast bands had a really good sense of americana yeah um the guys in black flag were really into like Jimi Hendrix and ZZ Top. Oh, and, and Grateful Dead. Like, Gid yeah, had been his whole life, Grateful like, Dead. a huge Grateful Dead fan. And mm -hmm. so that's, like, when you get into about, like, 1983, when they, like, are releasing, like, Everything Went Black under... They couldn't release it on their band name, but they released that and all these singles um, while they're waiting to release full-length albums is, like, the psychedelia aspect. Oh, like, yeah. Like, they pull in kind Family of free man. jazz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they pull that in, and it's, like, kind of funny because they're, like, well, Gin started, like, smoking pot around that time, but he's always been influenced by that music. You know, yeah. it's, like, Jimi Hendrix was a really big one. They all cited that they all, like, got into that, and, like... That's crazy how, like, they, in a time when that wasn't, like, contextualized, like, pulled the psychedelic, like, riffs and style of playing and Jazz. rhythm. And, yeah, yeah, and then put it into punk music. You know, punk, 
punk then especially was like so and it's so funny because it's such an oxymoron but like punk was so conformist like you really listened to punk you dressed punk and you did all this and one of the things that they hated was like we don't fucking do that we're gonna listen to whatever we're gonna listen to motorhead and you know like coltrane yeah in the same time in the van you know and i think yeah at that time it was punk originally was this very masculine oriented like response to the whole free love movement in the 70s so it's like yeah joey ramone was a republican like it was a very masculine like centered genre Mm -hmm. and it was like because i remember asking my parents like they went to high school in like the i guess really early 80s but i'd be like oh like did you have punks at your school or did you listen to punk and they were like we didn't even like buy punk records because it was like a whole different lifestyle like Uh he was like i wouldn't pick up my dad like would listen to all he has good music taste but he's like I would have never like picked up a punk record because I was like you had a mohawk and wore leather and like dropped uh-huh. out of high school and like everything you looks like yeah the it was like or so different and now like on my playlist I'll listen to like you know Alice Coltrane and the next is like Alice in Chains and then the next is something else <laughs> yeah. you know like and it's just I don't know it's like you don't have to like conform to a culture and they were really like fuck that like we're going to do punk on our terms. They and just like music. be more freeform. Yeah, yeah and they, they just did. wanted to play music, which was cool. Not like yeah. fit into some, you know, kind of like fashion thing, you know? Yeah. Which is like a big trap of the whole punk rock. Like, you know, the Sex Pistols is literally named after a, a boutique, you know, like clothing and they, store. Yeah, and of stuff anyone, like, like, they don't know, you know, they weren't there for the music. They were a band for not even a That's year why or whatever. That's, Pill yeah. is way better. Public Limited, or oh, Public yeah. Image Limited is way better than oh, the yeah. Sex Pistols. I'm going to say it here. I don't care who I piss off. I'll say that. That's I'm going to piss off a lot of people over the course of this podcast. I'm sure I already have. But yeah, like, Hell the yeah. Sex Pistols did didn't know how to play their instruments they were a very dysfunctional band like they kind of sucked like black Boy flag band. is yeah they were Boy black band. flag is like this like anti-corporate yeah they were just anti-cop cool. they anti- were just anti-everything they were fascism cool. you know all these punks were so obsessed with like bringing back like nazi imagery and they were oh, like yeah. fuck that and that's fuck yeah that and that's like they're very instrumental and in just like driving that out of the scene and like that's I don't know, that's crazy to me that that really is a thing. And, like, they reclaimed all these punk, like, I guess, artifacts from, like, becoming this, yeah, like, Nazism and all that stuff was really prevalent. Skinheads. Like, yeah. All that kind yeah, of Yeah, and so they, like, they would beat up skinheads at their shows. Like, Ken Rollins would, you know, kick someone in the teeth if they, like, said something he didn't like. Like, yeah. crazy, crazy. Um, yeah, so I guess we can go kind of into the chronological part, like just kind of go through the albums. Cool. Um, yeah, so in case you didn't know, I'm sure you may have picked up by now, but Greg Ginn is like, he started the band, he played guitar, and the uh, Chuck Dukowski is actually way more relevant than he's given credit for, I yeah, believe. Oh yeah. Like, he's, he's a bass the player. Engine. But yeah, he like, he's the engine. they said like, I don't know, they would practice without a bass player. So he kind of came in after they had mm-hmm. this like guitar style going and yeah. he made his bass like just drive over all of that. And uh, he actually wrote, he wrote like a ton of the songs um, even after he quit the band and like, 
kind of turned into their manager afterwards. Yeah, but he definitely I can't remember had what exact year. But yeah, even after he manager, wasn't in the band, like agent. he was their tour manager, and they still used his songwriting, like stuff mm-hmm. he had written in the past. And then the original lineup is Keith Morris was their singer for like their very beginning stuff, like in the late seventies. I think lineup might be a, like a. <laughs> I want to say lineup in quotations because like literally lineup. I mean they had. They, oh, had they had four singers yeah. before Henry Rollins, and I mean, yeah. they would, and the drummers, oh my god, they would they went through, yeah immediately, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. But yeah, Keith Morris, he did, um, that's when they started with, like, Jealous Again, and then, uh, man, what was that first EP? Yeah, like, Nervous Breakdown. Nervous yeah, Breakdown. Yeah, yeah, Nervous that's Breakdown is. is, like, so that's where Keith, like, he's, like, a cult classic for Nervous Breakdown. Um, he does have a fantastic voice. Yeah, so he was on Nervous Breakdown. Henry Rollins said that he really loved the, uh, one of the things that he loved about the band, because of course, you know, he's just a fan at this point, was that image to the EP where there's just a guy in, up with his hands up, up against a corner, and another guy with a chair trying to hold him against the wall. And he was like, I felt like that guy with his fists up every day of my life. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah, the, and that's like, once again, with like, um, with Raymond Pettibon and everything, like, their art, like, just, yeah, it just reflected that, like, inner turmoil and, like, violence that they, they didn't advocate violence, but, like, violence to the state, violence to, you mm-hmm. know, people and fighting yourself, on fighting others. depression, you know, oh, like, yeah, and that's, like, so damage. depression, so that's actually a great starting point, so Damage came out in 1981 as their technically, like, full First length. full length record yep. and it came out on unicorn records which is like a subset of mca and actually like quick note before uh they could put out anything after damage there was this big like legal battle and they were actually put in like an injunction where they couldn't use their own they name. didn't own their name yeah, yeah they the, didn't own black flag the so it, they was... couldn't really release anything but they still made so much music that they ended up releasing very quickly later but mm-hmm. they said damage was anti-parent and that's, well, that's what mca said yeah yeah they didn't want to distribute it yeah. and it's really because they were going to lose money distributing oh it yeah it was totally because the record label was falling in like yeah. now universal owns all of that um, and when they released it on take cassette they actually put um on the front the little thing that they got yeah. that said you know the reasons that it was anti-parent which which kind of like stuck it to the record label and also like and if you're a punk like what do you wouldn't that be awesome it's almost like certifiably good to be yeah. anti-parent oh yeah and that's like in the 80s like it was cooler to like buy a record that had like a like you know explicit label on yeah. it or whatever like if well, you were parents... a teen like you're like oh yeah i mean i remember being a teenager and yeah. literally discovering black flag and me like i'm gonna play this so loud and like piss off everyone in well, the like, house like the thing about the it 80s feels good the thing about the 80s too that just was so fucking lame is that there was a good chance especially for oc dwellers you know in los angeles county and outside there was a good chance that your parents voted for nixon or loved Ronald Reagan yeah, and yeah. all this kind of in American... The, like, to think that this all happened in the Reagan era, because I feel like I'll think about the Reagan era and then punk separately, you know, but yeah. to think like... Oh no, it's tied. Yeah, yeah, it is. Like, you know, you never, I guess, think of it because I didn't live during then. Like, I was born in the oh, 90s. don't worry. Like, You've got Trump now, yeah, so we get to live through Reagan through too. We're living through part two, yeah. honestly. But it's crazy. It's It's not just reactionary though like it's like we gotta do something because Mm -hmm. like reagan won't even say the word aids on tv while people are dying and they're like 
you know, singing music about... Let's make this country this. great and believe in our police force <sighs> and all this shit. And they're like, the police are breaking our friends' noses and Oh, yeah. I mean, they that actually queer. happened in 81 when they had recorded damage. You was either right before or right after. They come back to their apartment and the police had just raided it. Yep. And they just broken all their shit and left it and left it unlocked. So people looted their apartment mm-hmm. and that's like all their equipment. And they had built their own PA system, which um, I guess something we haven't noted is like the DIY ethic, which I guess is really popular around this time, but they really pioneered that. Like they had just the hardest work ethic of like, just of any brutally band. DIY. Yeah. Brutally they, yeah, they DIY. did everything. They built their own PA system. Like uh-huh. they just bought parts instead of like paying for a PA system or borrowing one or buying speakers or whatever. They literally. Greg Ginn soldered built, a lot of those yeah. PA pieces together. He built his own guitars a lot of the time. Crazy. I mean, it was it was very DIY in house uh, stuff. And they were yeah. also poor. You yeah. know, there was a huge, like, you always notice a lot of the lyric content has a lot of, about American poverty and whatnot, and that's because they were just insanely poor Yeah, which, like, when moment. it came to the breakup, like, that's kind of what it was, mm-hmm. is they're playing, um, like, I think in 1984, they played, I have the exact number here, yeah, 178 Eight shows. shows in a year, yeah. And they were touring like that all the time, though. Mm-hmm. Even with Damage, when they're in this three-year injunction, they're playing shows, they're sleeping in cars, sleeping on someone's floor, and um, that's actually how Henry Rollins got to join the band. So he was really good friends with Ian McKay from Fugazi. Which, and Minor Threat, another one of the yeah. greatest oh, yeah. hardcore those bands in the entire world. Those could both be their own podcasts. That, I probably should do those too. Those but. two guys are like the Lennon and McCartney of like the 1980s. Oh, their, yeah. their influence and their abilities cannot be underestimated. Or not like... Yeah. You can say tons of stuff about it and it would all be true just because of how much influence they had on the scene and the music and stuff they really did and like a friend gave like Rollins and McKay like a just a like cassette I guess copy of Damage and so Rollins like gets really into them he's obsessed with them and when they're playing near his town he's like you can sleep in my parents floor Mm -hmm. and then um they invite him on stage to sing i think it's clocked in yeah clocked what, in yep. yeah and so des cadana was like singing at this point before rollins because there was a million vocalists and he was like well i want to switch to guitar let's just try Blew out, out this his dude. voice he was getting yeah. really bad like fissures because he had cords. no like uh formal training, no training. so he was Didn't just like exhausting himself, himself with yeah. these like loud crazy performances and yeah and he like Rollins like thought it was just for fun didn't really know it was an audition and then they invited him to come into their like practice space or studio or wherever they were uh practicing for tour and they were like yeah like we want you to sing like he just had that whole he whole called, persona I yeah. don't know how you could not want him to be in your band if, yeah. if that situation so much about. energy he loves the music he knows the music he wants to do good one of the best things about Henry Rollins is being a very blue collar worker he's working at haagen at this moment yeah yeah he's a manager so he gets at haagen to like quit his job there and like join this band but he's a workhorse yeah. he's, oh, a, yeah. he's a hard worker and like that's one of the things that they loved about him is that he was a hard worker and he would do anything to make the ship move you know oh, yeah. but he calls Ian McCartney and then he's straight up like I think that I'm auditioning for Black Flag and he's like Ian's like you gotta do it man this is something that's very important and he goes well what if what if I get it what am I gonna do and he goes you definitely have to do it then. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, quit your job, do whatever, you know. And he did. He did what he had to do, and he worked worked his ass off. They all did. Just, yeah, their work ethic, because DIY 
has such a different meaning today, but then it was truly like them living in squalor, like oh, yeah. traveling in a van, like sleeping wherever they could, and just ma- yeah, making their own. When Henry Rollins making uh, their way, when he joins the band, he eventually starts living in a shed behind the Gin's house. Because he didn't, yeah, he didn't have anywhere to live, and they were like, "Well, we yeah, because he had to move all the way to California. Uh He just dropped everything. I was like, okay, yeah, he was living in Arlington, Virginia, which was right next to the DC. Of course, that's where DC hardcore is kind of where Minor Threat comes from and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, because he was friends with that like scene Mm -hmm. um, at the time. Bad brains, all that. Yeah, and he was a member of SOA, and he left Mm -hmm. them to join Black Flag, and then that same year. They toured with Minutemen in Europe, and this is when Roland starts writing Get in the Van, which is his memoir, which I have not read. I've read excerpts. Oh, uh, it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's I just his diaries. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's just, just like a tour diary, and mm-hmm. he has these crazy... Oh, he's so insightful, like his spoken word and stuff, but he has these crazy quotes about uh, just all the stuff happening on tour, but that's like where it began, like just being in Europe. Well, one of the cool things about Henry is he falls in love with an uh, an author named Henry Miller, who's really big, like uh, Tropic of Cancer, Tropic of Capricorn, which are these really brutally, like, like almost like, like sexual kind of like, kind of like bros, you know, kind of thing, like Naked Lunch or something. So Henry immediately is like, well, what can I do as an artist? Because I can't play any instruments or anything like that. So he immediately is like, I just need to write. I need yeah. to get be a better writer, so you know he starts keeping that diary and whatnot, and um, he just really progresses as a poet and as a writer. Just period. Yeah, a lot of the stuff he wrote in his tour diary turned into spoken word pieces that he either like would perform on stage before a song, or you know, there's like videos that some punk took of him doing it in a living room, or like when he uh, after the band broke up in the Rollins band and his own projects released. But it all started there, like in 1981. So he's been developing this poetry, this writing mm-hmm. since then. And then Chuck Biscuits leaves to kind of, I guess, well, join he was or the, start. He was the drummer, so they yeah. lose Robo because they go on a tour, yeah. and Robo is not technical. I don't know if it. He's not technically an American citizen or something like that. And he gets detained when they're trying to come back from London. Yeah. And literally, that was just it for Robo. He finally came back to America, but he was, like, not interested in touring and all this kind of stuff. I feel that. And that's a lot of this, like, they go in and out of members, like, crazy. Yep. And so, yeah. Drummers and had, bass players. They just... That's, yeah. No, but I, I feel it's it. hard. There's a lot of... I feel like a lot of bands that are so influential and stuff... Yeah, they kind of cycled mm-hmm. in and out of these people because you have these core members, and yeah. if you can't really keep up with their idea, well, you couldn't keep vision. up with Gin. He was yeah. changing. I mean, I think Rollins one time said that, like, "Hey, maybe we should slow down." Yeah, so people can like not have to predict what we're doing next, yeah, and or they like can catch enjoy up. it because yeah. that's kind of like when you see them live, um, like. What's we get into? Well, really, 1984 is like the next big year for them. So they release My War, Slip It In, and Family Man. And My War is like, we can go into that in a second, but literally, like, created sludge metal. Like, amazing album. Yeah, Stoner Metal. I mean, literally, yeah, Yeah. like, literally, My um, War is probably like that in the fucking White Album is literally probably my favorite record. No, My War is literally like, that's one, I think that's probably the first punk record I heard because I remember, like, 
uh, where I grew up has a very small scene, but, like, the f- people I was yeah. friends with, like, gave me, like, that, and I remember just, like, listening to that, and I didn't know, I never heard a sound like that, and, yeah. like, those people hadn't either in that time, and, like, so what's funny is, like, they released the Live 84 record that year as well, later, but so when they're playing these 178 shows, so people had heard Damaged, and so they're like, they want this upbeat thing, and then when they get there, they're playing some old songs, but then they're also playing these weird sludge metal songs. Heavy, and like, heavy, slow, yeah, Black like, Sabbath and Like, influenced. nothing left inside off of My War to me is, like, mm. the sludgiest track, and the way it starts, and it's just this drag and drop of, like, adrenaline, and then he just comes in like i think it was a quote from a roadie or maybe a critic or something that said like a cobra like just oh yeah pulls back and, like, and, it and goes yeah down. and it just yeah. like and there's a moment in every black flag song where it's like it's just dragged out it's building up and then it just hits you harder than you expect it yeah. to it's like more than a there's just so much passion behind that and so people would see them live and they would get upset because they're playing something that's kind of like psychedelic and jazzy it's still incredibly punk but uh so like at that point gin would like play some of the slower stuff just to, like piss off the audience well, and, like if know, they got too rowdy like i can't oh, remember yeah. exact song but there's a video on youtube and like the crowd was getting so rowdy so he just plays like a really boring like you know, psychedelic, like, he just draws out one of their songs to be yeah. 20 minutes, and people start leaving the show, and then they have a great audience, because all the, like, punk, you know, dumb punks left, and so, he, yeah, he, like, the fans couldn't keep up with them, like, they were so ahead of their time. You know, um, it seems like, uh, on Damaged, there is a track called Damage 2, it's real slow and real heavy, and it seems like after 1982, 1983, they start st- opening the shows with that. And it's almost like a litmus test. Like, are you going to dig on what's about to happen? Or are you just here to, like, yeah. smash people's faces in yeah. and just release this, like, whatever aggression you have, you know? Yeah, and that's, like, punk definitely was a space for, like, if you grew up in the suburbs or you grew up poor and, like, you didn't have the self-expression, mm-hmm. you could come and just, like, beat the shit out I'm of everyone pissed. up. Hit. Yeah, and, like, yeah. that still feels good. I love going to, like, a good punk show yeah. and, like, getting in there. But, like, some people... We're just, you know, these skinheads or like just dumb using jocks. it as violence. Yeah, just you know, came in just and did violence and like Henry Rollins. Uh, I don't have the exact quote. I wish I wrote it down, but he's like, I don't, you know, I don't condone actual violence. Like I love the idea of killing people, but that's why I write about it. Mm-hmm. He's like, I have a microphone, a typewriter, not a gun. Like, yeah. And so people would come to the shows and be violent, and he would kick them out or like, uh-huh. you know, get people would beat those people up till they left the show and like. It was just a very no tolerance for that mm-hmm. kind of shit. Like, and they really, I don't know, until you get into Riot Girl and all that stuff, it's still almost not safe for a lot of people to go to shows. But, like, he, they didn't put up with that. Like, mm-hmm. they, you know. Um, so it was, their shows, like, around this time, around uh, the time My War is released, and they record Slip It In during a break while they're touring. So this is really the first half of 84. Around this time, they're getting this rep from, obviously, they have this whole anti-police thing going, mm-hmm. but they're, like, you know, people's parents think they're, like, an, a violent band, and they're, you know, like, 
all these things, but it's really because the police would come and create violence at their shows. So police would see that oh, yeah. they would pick up a flyer, come like the black flag show would be halfway through. The police would come in and be the ones hurting people, bashing people. Yeah, heads they in would with literally, clubs. yeah, they yeah. literally would bring clubs into an audience where a band is playing and hit people, hurt people, and they got away with that. And then they go and spread this rhetoric, like this, like narrative that like black flag is like violent yeah. when like. When, like, the opposition is what's creating the violence there. When they're speaking out against, like, police brutality and then it happens at their shows. And it's, like, a yeah. sick irony that people get to see it firsthand. Well, you know, police, the police don't, they don't get it. They, they see this energy going off and the only thing that they fundamentally understand is either people are being violent or not being violent. So they kind of fight fire with fire. And, you know, it's like the cops just don't get aesthetic and they don't get art. You know, because yeah. it's not... It's so black and white to them. And especially yeah. during this time in America, it's like... I'm sure any parent would maybe be concerned if they pick up a copy of my war and listen to it. But like... Or the just the image of Slip yeah. It In oh, with the nun. Yeah, like yeah. a nun and a record called Slip It In. Like, yeah. yeah, that's... I get it. But like, art is so... It's just, you can't take that at face value. That's like a lot of their songs, like, um, white minority. So like they Which had, is on Jealous Again, yeah, I believe. Yeah. yeah, so this is one of their first ones when they actually had a Puerto Rican frontman singing, like, we're uh, going to be Ron? a white... Yeah, yeah. Ron Reyes, right? And so like, they're saying, we're going to be a white minority, like, we're going to fill inferiority. So they're basically talking about like, you know, like white pride like it's an ironic song almost from the point of view of someone who's like afraid of losing their white privilege like it's like one day we're gonna be the minority how yeah. terrible is that and people thought they were being serious and they were like our singer isn't even white like you know the song is supposed to be like kind of a fuck you like you you're really scared yeah. white of being patriarchy a minority. tear that shit and, yeah down. and it's like they were i don't know i feel like that's something that people still have to unlearn today like why are you so afraid of being a minority because of the way you treat minorities and well like this line that. is the best gonna be a white minority you don't believe there's a possibility well just wait and see we're gonna be the white minority yeah you know what i mean yeah. like that's that's not like oh god it's like you know as a as a white culture, we need to understand that we're we can't just like hammer down at other ethnicities or anything oh, within yeah. America because it's not going to be like this. We can't use this like white pride as a hammer, you know? It's yeah, just yeah, exactly. Disgusting, you know? Exactly. What I mean? And so they're like calling that out, and yeah, just once again like ahead of their time. So yeah, and then you get into slip it in, slip it in. Actually, so one of my favorite songs on slip it in is my ghetto. Ooh, yeah. And um, so that not only has a great message, my ghetto, but so this song to me is like literally like the first power violence song. Like, oh, yeah. So before hardcore is even established as a genre, they're like, Let, what can we do to advance it? And mm -hmm. like, so uh, yeah, that's the cool thing about Black Flag is like every song is great, but there's like one or two songs on each album that like totally have a different sound than the rest of the album a bit. Like kind of like nothing left inside. It's just so mm. like sludgy. Like, yeah. This one is so like power violence. Like you get this like, uh, I don't know, like a uh, rhythm or. Uh, I mean, it's like proto grind. Yeah. Grind core in a way. Yeah. yeah. And you just get that. But and, and no one's ever heard that. And that's one of the ones of the shows that makes people just go crazy. Like yeah. people are just, I don't know if you, you know, obviously if you're listening to this podcast, you're a music fan. When you're like in that moment and you hear a song that just makes you want to just either smash something or cry or dance or yeah. like whatever. And that's like one of those songs, like if I'm home alone and I hear it, I just like, 
and like headbanging and like yeah. I don't know, it just makes you go crazy. There's something in it that just yeah, it's crazy. I mean it's it's crazy a deep, how, what music can make you do. Yeah, deep deep energy. Um what is it uh, uh Ravi Shankar said uh you know, music is it can be god and music can be the devil too. You yeah. know, so like that energy can fill you with like and I think you know that was the disconnect between their fans and stuff was like a lot of young kids were just kind of using this as like a fundamental fuel to aggression. <laughs> But for yeah. them, it's just an exercise. It's like a, it's like wringing out the aggression in a safe, yeah. Controls. Like Rollins, a quote he said, like around this time, is like rage is something that can be very soulful. Mm-hmm. So he takes rage and he makes it into art instead of just like you know violence. Like mm-hmm. rage is not violence. Rage is this feeling that can lead to revolution to whatever and that's like what begins it all and that's what's behind their music and yeah that is they did have a big disconnect with their fans like obviously they toured all the time and relied Mm -hmm. on them but a lot of their fans didn't really get what they were about really initially i'm sure people called on you know they released four three full albums and a live album this year but like yeah they did have this disconnect where yeah they weren't condoning violence and like violence was happening and uh, I feel like a lot of bands have that. People are going to interpret art however they want to, and, like, half of art is the interpretation. Mm-hmm. But, like, to me, they had a pretty clear clear message of what they were about, you know, this, yeah. you know, anti-conformity thing. I think Henry Rollins one time said, uh, I wish someone would touch me rather... Like, it's like I wish someone would try would touch me that wasn't either trying to kill me or congratulate me like there yeah. was only like that big yeah difference like either like the music made you insane and aggressive or you just think thought it was just like the most amazing art form yeah know? and that's yeah that's kind of exactly what it was and that's how a lot of art is just interpreted in general like people just want it to be so black or white but i mean obviously there are people that get it people that are reading the zines and like that you know, whatever they say, the 2% of people that listen to, like, you know, more music than the radio and all that stuff, like, they got it, and, um, so that's, like, by the end of the year, they released this live album, and you can see that they've changed a little bit into a softer, like, a blues influence Mm. is even on their, like, uh, live record, and like we talked about, like, the kind of free jazz style of, like, guitar playing and stuff, um, so people kind of see, in just a year, they go from Damage, which is just a straight-up, like, dirty, gritty, like, hardcore, not the best recording, hardcore yeah, record. just, like, yeah. hardcore, and then they go to kind of, like, grunge, stoner metal, then they kind of get jazzy, bluesy, but it's all under the realm of punk, like, they're still, like, an original punk band mm-hmm. making just like the best punk rock ever like so it's cool that they incorporate this without ever compromising like a sound even though the sound does change one of the things that was uh, really important to the band also in like 1984 and especially on that 1984 live album and then subsequently on another live album they did called uh, what's the ten and a half which is like their last recordings one of the best things about it is they get uh kira rossler yeah which is fundamentally the one of the best musicians in the band she's an amazing yeah. bass player she, she changes understands the whole rhythm. dynamic like yeah. she really does when she comes into the band and that's that's like a pivotal time she came in like during 84 when it allowed Ginn to go more into art because he was playing with a lot of people that didn't they couldn't play very well you yeah know? yeah so like having her kira 
And then I think his name was Anthony Martinez, who was the drummer that they played with at that time. He, they were so good at rhythm and they understood music and like a fundamental level and a music theory level. It allowed Gin to get more into his kind of musical experimentation, which allowed Henry to get into his spoken word art form. So it's like everybody started to grow yeah. at that time. Yeah, and it's, yeah, that's like a lot of other... I guess bands that started that way, but yeah, she comes in the band and like changes the dynamic, uh, playing bass, and that's like a big thing. That's kind of going back to like the Sex Pistols, like you know, Sid Vicious didn't even know how to play bass, and then like which is Black so romantic, Flag, but it don't it make sucks. good. For, yeah, like, it good doesn't. Art. Yeah, and so they're actually in a punk band, but they're all like artists, like yeah. so they're like soft, sensitive artists. Playing as good as they can, as well as they can. They're going deep into it, you know. And it's just, yeah, crazy. It's, um, I don't know. So they also put out, like, Family Man that year, and she's on that record. Half Um, spoken word, half instrumental. yeah, Yeah, so this is, like, a really great, I don't know, if you're, like, a baby punk and you're, like, just getting into all that music, like, this is, like, uh, Or if you're an artsy-fartsy kid at a university and you want (laughs) to break off of the standard artsy-fartsy bullshit, you can go into this and you can see the fundamental American blue-collar thought process And, like, you see Armageddon Man, like, just sounds like that. Oh, my God. Like, changed my life. Like, I, like never heard spoken word and black flag was one of the first like black flag and patty smith for me like i got so into it i'm still really into yeah. it and have books you know, and my mom crazy. i remember one of the ways that i talked to her because she she was kind of like a like she was an artist and stuff and she kind of fundamentally didn't really see a lot of uh positive aspects of punk music because she kind of just saw it as the uk subs kind of like exploited the you know kind of lame shit not to say that's lame, but, you know, it, yeah. it's a very one-sided thing. And I remember being like, listening to this album specifically and being like, Mom, this is just like the Yoko records that yeah. you would let me listen to. Like, I saw Henry as being this, like, modern male equivalent to Yoko in the he early totally 70s. Is. That's, like, a really yeah. great comparison. And it's, I don't know, it's crazy just to hear, um, I mean, all these bands I've done a podcast on are, like, obviously some of my favorite bands, so it's, like, I went from a background of, like, literally growing up on, like, Christian and country music and nothing yeah, else. Yeah, Garth Brooks, maybe? Oh, yeah, yeah, and, like, all that, which I still, I mean, I work in country, I love country music, but, like, I just never heard anything like this, and yeah. I imagine that's what teens during that time who didn't have hardcore music, like, put on this record and, like, ah, oh, it blows your mind. And the it's radio crazy. at this point is, like, the Eagles yeah, and shit the like that. Like, like, I can't imagine having to, like, listen to popular music at that time. Like, and it's, like, the best yeah. thing you have on the radio is, like, the fucking Cars or yeah. something, like, and which is fine. Suck, like, oh, no. <laughs> cars I'm are not cool. really a big fan. But it's definitely not music that pushes the bounds of yeah. art. And this, yeah, this pushes it doesn't only push the bounds of punk it doesn't only push the boundaries of hardcore it pushes the boundaries of what is poetry and what what is is live what is live music yeah you know oh and live music especially like they just the fact that they toured so much diy touring like they revolutionized that like that's nowadays you know living in nashville a new one of my friends goes on tour every Mm -hmm. week you know and so it's like a it's a routine at this point not that it's easy but you know you have like your van and you like book your shows whatever and they were just kind of they didn't have a precedent they didn't have like a 
well, there wasn't. Book, there you know? wasn't. Um, now there is uh, a protocol. Yeah. For yeah. for unknown bands. Back then, there was no protocol. You exactly. were either a giant band, or nobody knew who the fuck you were. And it was kind of one of these things where, like, they're calling as many people as they can. They're calling YMCA's to see if they can play there. Yeah. And the cool thing is, since it's such a zeitgeist of the punk movement and such a zeitgeist of just the art movement. There's fucking 3,000 people showing up to a, a, a library, you know, yeah. or something like that to see them play, which and is just And it's just crazy because even um, SST or, like, uh, what Chuck um, doing, like, their tour managing, like, mm-hmm. none of these people know what they're... They're just making up as they yep. go. So they're, like, they literally played in everywhere from living rooms and basements to libraries and... And sleeping in their clothes with spit all over them, not getting to shower, not hardly eating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these these people are hard-working motherfuckers that are trying to make shit happen. And that's true hardcore. Like, they live this lifestyle that I don't see how they could produce anything but this hardcore music. Because they're living hardcore. Like, they are living... It's just none of just that slacker, so humbly, escapism like, yeah. bullshit, you know, yeah. it's not like... Touring Ooh. is not, like, an easy, fun thing, yeah. like, you know, I mean, like, people do it now, and I'm sure it's, like, a bit easier or whatever, but, like, for them, it's just, it's, like, it's their job and yeah. their whole life, and they have no money, and so they just are well, it's like, it's, it's so dedicated to imagine, it. Imagine, like, now, a lot of music is fundamentalized by luxurious leisure time. You know, yeah. I, imagine if you were to tell, imagine if Henry Rollins and Greg Ginn walked in, saw your band set, and heard a song about fucking eating pizza. Yeah. And spit in your fucking face. Because oh, it's yeah. just not, it's and like, like yeah. stay and home. And I love stuff like that, like songs that are about, I don't know, drinking beer, like, you know, it's you got have its like place. Mac DeMarco and stuff like that, and then you have weirder stuff that's come from that. That's yeah, yeah that's like slacker anthems. That's like yeah about whatever. But yeah, their music was about getting shit done and like what they were doing at yeah. the time. Like yeah, that's and what fighting it was. against fascist oppression within the American culture. And they're yeah, and they're being so active about it. And I feel yeah. like it's so a lot of bands today. I want to say a lot. There are bands today, local or bigger, that are like, you know, which I guess there's not a lot of ways to do it, but they'll release something on Facebook if something happens that's like, we stand with the transgender community, whatever, but like Black Flag, every day that they woke up, they were producing art that challenged that, and they were literally physically protecting people at their shows that Mm -hmm. were outcast or like, you know, fighting against, literally fighting people that were, you know... um, racist or homophobic or whatever and like fascist and they yeah so like every song they put out is like like even family man which is the last one they put out in 84 is like they're talking about just like the family man who's complacent in politics i love that family man it's family man and so it's just like family man and he's like my favorite lyric is i want to crucify you to your front door with the nails from your own well-stocked garage family man like it's just like why sit around and be complacent like you know they'd rather live dirt poor and like be fighting like well also the aspect of like you know you, you think oh well you know it's a it, what a what a family man who does you know like oh there's all these bullshit family values that they're getting from the government or from media yeah but you know he's the same guy that's like hitting his wife when he gets too drunk and shit like that or mistreating exactly. his children so they were like fuck that like I'm yeah. not interested in any of that 
Americanism. Which we're like totally coming back into in the Trump administration and uh patriarchal yeah and it's like this whole like fight of like oh american values it's like what are american values Mm -hmm. like they they suck like they're not you know american values is a two-sided very hypocritical thing that if you have um if you look good on the outside you're a good citizen but you're still voting for people that are you're voting against welfare and you're voting against things that help people and immigration and very basic like human decency rights like rights yeah that isn't that crazy have. i'm having a great Bad. time drinking beer and fundamentally f- like pushing for or perpetuating the patriarchal yeah. society. which is like the song yeah. one of their first is Which yeah one? yeah so tv got... party tv party and so they're literally just making fun of like in quotations normies like they're like oh like we have nothing better to do than watch tv and drink drink brews. a couple of brews yeah. yeah and they're like i love espn yeah i like, like this which is like, like yeah i like watching netflix whatever but it's like there's you know there's really people like i think about that like it's hard you can't force creativity there's days i come home mm. and can't like write oh, yeah, or absolutely. whatever but there's people that don't even try there's people that come home every day after work and like drink two beers and watch their show and well, go to bed. Well, that's their priority. Like, you know, there, that there's, is. there's yeah. all this that's shit like what going they do. down. That's their hobby. There's all this shit going down. You know, the 1980s were a tumultuous time in American history and there was a lot of, you know, it's kind of like the second 60s where there's a lot of denying of rights and whatnot. And like to think that you're just... Oh, the only thing you're worried about, it's like a modern thing to me, like you're worried about fucking micro brews, but like... I have to worry about, like, my teacher has a gun that could shoot my oh, my yeah. kids or something like yeah. that. You know, like, I, like, I'm, oh, I just want a monster energy drink and not worry about all the school shootings or some bullshit like that. You know, like, yeah. that's your leisure time, you know. I I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's like they're... And it is that now, like, once again, we are going through yeah. that again. And it's, I don't know, in 2018, I feel like we have to wake up every day and be like, is what I'm doing good or bad for, you know, on a very basic level, Mm -hmm. is what I'm doing good or bad, like, in a ripple effect to the political climate we're in, and, like, and Black Flag did that every day they woke up, and they were like, okay, so I see a rise of fascism in the punk scene, Mm -hmm. I see these, you know, Reagan-era values, and, like, we're gonna make art that challenges it, we're gonna challenge it with physical performance, with words with writing and they did that hard like work they discipline and really thought. yeah they put in yeah and a lot of it is discipline too because you know every band has ambition but like they i don't know who Lived puts out four it. records in a year like yeah that? And, and also during playing that. 178 shows <laughs> yeah. while recording records like crazy someone that gives a shit that's who yeah. does it and they did and that's i don't know punk punk needed that at the time and like it's just, I don't know, it's cool. So now it's 1985. The band plays about the same amount of shows uh, that year, and they put out Loose Nut. And um, to me, Loose Nut is like kind of getting back to like the polished kind of hardcore. I do have to say, this album sounds bizarre. It, it's a very it strange album. It sticks out in yeah. there. And I just mean like the mixing and mastering of it. It sticks out. It's got this 80s sheen that is just so, like, the songs are amazing, and I love the record, but it really, you can tell that they're, like, kind of just changing completely. You know, Greg starts playing with this band called Gone, which tours with Black Flag, and it's all instrumental, and it's jazz, really, you know? So you're really starting to see, like, a split 
in the band as it happens. And this album being like a, such a weirdo kind of marks that turn. And yeah, and that's like, um, so they break up in 86, but this is like kind of the time where that quote earlier where Rollins is like, maybe we should just like, you know, slow down a Mm -hmm. little bit, whatever. And, uh, so yeah, so it's kind of, um, after Loose Night, you have In My Head, which came out the same year. I do want to say one more thing about Loose Nut. Loose Nut is where they make their break with Ray Pettibon, the guy that makes, yeah. you know, Greg's brother. Because yeah. they used this image, which is a self-portrait of, of actually Ray, on the cover with two women on both sides. And it's just kind of a ridiculous, almost like cabaret-esque uh, image very it's American nineteen fifties yeah, kind of thing, done before. and they took it without letting him know. And the thing about Ray, because they weren't paying Ray for his artwork, but yeah. he he wanted to, as any artist does, he wants to put out what he wants to put out, and this was kind of for him. So when he did it, he got really pissed off. And he kind of stopped making images for the band at this point. Yeah. And yeah. that's, I don't know, their like iconography is like mm-hmm. such a big part of it. They create, you know, the black flag, like, you know, whatever. So that's, I actually didn't know that fact. That's uh, really crazy. Um, but yeah, there's a big contrast here in sound and image of what they've been doing before. Mm-hmm. They don't have, you know... The and you got a song like look. Annihilate This Week, which is oh, like one God. of the heaviest songs yeah. of the 1980s. And that's... I really like... Um, I read some like ex- excerpts from the zines, and it's kind of funny, at, like as a music journalist, so mm-hmm. a lot of... I feel like it's lazy music journalism to just be like, this new band sounds like this band mixed with this band. Like, yeah, but you kind of have to do that a little bit to give context. Like nowadays, if I pick up a local band to write about, I'm going to have to be like, they have this kind of sound. Pepsi tastes just like Coca-Cola. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, like I get that when an editor makes you do that or you kind of have to do that to contextualize, but some, sometimes people do that without any other further description and that's not description. It's a consumerist Um, fundamental, like, um, like what, what, what would you say? Like, it's literally like a point, a consumerist point of interest like point yeah. of view kind yeah of so it's like if you like this band you'll like this band but so these zines because there wasn't a lot of hardcore they when they're writing about the music it's the craziest like um music journalism because they have nothing to compare it to and that's just i don't know they just they start describing things as like heavy loud and they're having to come up with words or assign words that haven't been assigned to music before Mm -hmm. and like this is one um this is from ripper edition six so tim tunica i guess i don't know this guy but he wrote this yeah and just like the way they describe it powerful sounds like it's like they don't have language to describe what they're hearing so you've never heard they say wild squealing crunching guitar sounds combined with school crushing drum beats like you've never heard no one's ever heard these words to describe music Mm -hmm. so punk like the whole punk zine era which could be i feel like i could like teach a college class on that like it's such a big thing of interest for me but it just like yeah just like change music writing Mm -hmm. also so like black flag by pushing the limits of their art like are pushing limits of other genres of art of music journalism to where it's not boring reporting like oh i'm going to interview the beatles it's like let's talk about like the word skull crushing like mm-hmm. i love that like they're just like assigning new meaning to language and to language that describes music yeah. and that's like revolutionary because then you get into the 90s and you have 
I don't know. It's just cool. It's a cool time for music journalism. Mm-hmm. It's very much shifting then. Well, what's that old journalism kind of thing when it comes to like music PR? It's like, well, you know, your band sounds great, but I need something to write about. Yeah. Kind of thing. Like I need, yeah. I need a paragraph and I like you, but like it, you really only have two sit. I've only yeah. got two sentences. And you know, the people making these zines are like 17 years old. Like, oh, yeah. like I said, like making them and they're having to hand copy and like Xerox and all this stuff. And I feel like that's kind of similar to how you kind of have to get started as a music journalist. Like I didn't know what I was doing and I made little zines and like Tumblr posts where I would review old records or whatever. Yeah. And like, Ah, it's just cool. It's just cool that they like pushed art not only in their realm, but they if there's like, too much, changed journalism. You if know? there's too much infrastructure and it's too easy to do what you want to do, then that means it's not worth the time. Oh yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, no, and I feel like maybe not learn that the hard way, but it's just hard to like pave that with any type of art. But music writing, if you if you want to do good music writing, is yeah. like very much. Uh, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of yeah. work. Um, yeah. Anything so, that isn't does not matter. Yeah, true. Honestly, if it's easy, it's, you know, not worth doing. Like, that's yeah. not art. Art is not easy. It's painful sometimes, and it's whatever. Like, whether you're making music or poetry or whatever kind of writing you're mm-hmm. doing. Um, yeah, so, I don't know. I think that's a really cool thing. I just love looking at old zines about several bands, but Black Flag is in, you know, all these crazy crazy zines and like it's just cool that they describe them without context of a genre because now it's just yeah it's so easy to be like well they're a hardcore band and they sound like this other hardcore band yeah they didn't have that um yeah so we're kind of getting to the end of end of an era end of the band they released uh in my head in 1985 right after loose nut and I feel like this is one of the albums I haven't given a ton of listens to like loose nut is so bizarre I feel like I've Listen to that one a good bit. Obviously, like, My War and Slip It Down are, like, my favorites. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so this one's cool, but it's, like... Um, In My Head is a really good kind of almost take off of, like, raw power, Iggy and the Stooges kind of yeah. idea. Paralyzed, which it starts the album, is a really great, interesting look at... Like the way the song is structured, because it sounds like freeform jazz, and then out of nowhere you'll get like this poppy kind of interjection before the chorus, and then it goes straight into like power hardcore. Yeah. So it's kind of showing off like their abilities to mix all these. Like it's almost like they're creating things with their other records, and this record specifically is almost like them being like, you think that was some shit. Watch how we fit a million different genres yeah. in one fucking song. Yeah. And that's really cool because they're also at a point where it's kind of a culmination of all the records before. And it really is. Because it shows you off get their that, musicianship. Like, too. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And they've improved as musicians yeah. so much over the decades. So you get like the jazz, psychedelic, even blues, sludge metal, grunge, all these genres mm-hmm. that they've helped pioneer and then they put it all into, you know, you can have three kind of genres influencing one song here. Um, and then once again, there's some like spoken word. Yeah. Yeah, real and, uh, buffet of different kind of styles yeah. and whatnot. Um, and this then, is a really good, this is like their last official like real yeah, recording as so a band. so their last release is Who's Got the Ten and a Half um, and it's a live record. And amazingly done too. Like yeah. this album sounds, you know, there's 1984, which the live 1984 is almost kind of like, 
like showing you how insane their live shows are. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It just showcases how like neurotic their music can sound yeah. almost. And like, jagged and yeah, scary yeah. and loud. But this album really shows how good of a live band they are and their musicianship. I yeah. mean, it just Which sounds Which is what amazing. gave them success. Like they didn't have mainstream success by any means, but they literally banked off of their live yeah. shows. Like that's why people loved them. They would go see them and they, you know, they would tour through one town several times yeah. in one year because they just kept going and going and going. And like this, yeah, this is a really, there's a really, really good version of, oh yeah. So that slip it in and gimme, gimme, gimme is absolutely fantastic. It's got that weird yeah. jam thing in it. Oh, and they've also got that jam that you were kind of talking about earlier. Yeah. Like yeah. Um, but there is like, these songs are just like some of the best versions of them. Honestly. Yeah, and that's why I'm I'm a big advocate of live albums. Like yeah. I love a good live album, even if it you know if it's Bob Dylan, Black Flag, whoever. But like this one is like I love live albums because it encapsulates like really the meaning behind the the lyrics and music because it, you get that feeling like that like goosebump feeling of yeah. like the passion of being there when it's happening mm-hmm. live. Um, so this is like a really fantastic record, but sadly. And the exact date is June 27, 1986. They have their final show in Detroit. And this came about because Gin, like, calls Rollins on the phone when they're, like, on a tour break. And he's yep. just like, I'm quitting the band. And Rollins is like, uh, well, you are, you are the, the band. band. Like, it's yeah. your band. He's like, yeah, well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, Black Flag is not a band. So they have their final show. Um, and it's over in a phone call. Yeah, in like one phone tone, call, they, years. like, kill this you know prolific band and yeah i don't know in some ways maybe that's good because they you know are influential and they have this perfect body of work like in my opinion like it stands on its own but i also like wish you know i, I don't know any band that can do almost 10 years and it yeah. be a solid 10 years and that's the thing yeah because a lot of bands even ones i've done on this podcast like have been a band for so long and like they have some questionable stuff in oh, there yeah. but like black flag like I, ah, I just love everything they've done. Like, yeah. I mean, this was my first punk band. Like, it just... It, all the things we've talked about. It's so much. So, um, it's kind of sad. And they had this weird reunion thing in 2013. It's not a real reunion. It's, it's like, like, just Gin yeah. and then, like, some other people. With, yeah, these people that he had recruited yeah. for, like, a touring, basically, version of Black Flag. and Which Chuck... Dowski or whatever, um, he's got his own version called Flag. Yeah. You know, so like... And he... That's actually um, a point I forgot to bring up. So his daughter... So Chuck Dukowski's daughter is a poet now, and she's actually one of my like favorite Twitter accounts. But she did this thread a couple months ago about her dad um, not really getting like money or royalties for mm-hmm. their music because he wrote... like. One of her tweets here, it's Myra Gonzalez. She says, my dad wrote a majority of the songs for Black Flag. He gets zero royalties because they were too punk for agents and contracts. Yep. And as a result, one asshole gets all the money and all the former members struggle to stay above the poverty line. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's cool. She has a whole thread here, but it's like you, I don't know. I struggle with that. Like I didn't get paid for my writing which it's like natural, like I was eighteen, whatever. But the yeah. first two years I wrote, I never got paid for anything. Ever. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, and and that's how it's supposed to be. But it's also like, uh, it's not cool to like not get credit for your work. Yeah, you know? and especially if it's you're, not punk at all. Like, and especially <laughs> if your work is like straight up in Tony Hawk Pro Skaters. 
You know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, wait and a minute, it's, that's a hundred thousand dollars. And I guess there. at the time they weren't thinking ahead, but now, yeah, now his work is like, you know, commercially mm-hmm. successful oh, yeah. and he doesn't get money and their family doesn't get money. And she, you know, he has kids and all the other former members that were on the record. Um, and that's a problem. Like I know when like, I have a like background in country music and you go to like country music hall of fame and a lot of these exhibits are like, well, this guy played guitar on every record ever, but he didn't, you know, oh, yeah. he died poor. Like, um, so that's, that's a point to make maybe a lesson to take from black flag, like never be too punk to ask for money because, <laughs> or at least get, you the know, or at least get credit or contracts or like get things in writing, yeah. um, is really important. Like, well, you um, know, they were really casualties of that, like immediacy of art, you know, yeah. they just were young and just wanted to make art. Exactly. Know? So you don't think about like, the you know, future. a legal structure. Yeah. yeah. Where your music could go, which, uh. You because know, it's for like them, genuine that was like selling yeah. out to think yeah. about things like that. It and was, they were but very anti that kind of. Yeah, it's just crazy because now you know Henry Rollins, which I mean he deserves it, but also you know these other people aren't getting the money. And, yeah. Uh, well, I mean Henry around. Rollins doesn't get any black flag money. Yeah. But like he, but you know he's definitely like. His he is able to get work from his work yeah. and time as yeah. Black Flag, and so a lot of other people don't it. have that like I guess fame from it. Like he, you know, Chuck yeah. is like so, to me just such an underrated member. Like I just love like especially the songs he wrote. Yeah, are some of my favorites, and uh, yeah, so that's pretty crazy. And so at this point in time, like just in context of the scene, you have like all these new bands cropping up and this all kind of leads to, you know, four years later, we're in the nineties and, uh, punk is a whole new, whole new monster. Um, which I'm sure we'll get into other podcasts. I'm sure we'll do many more punk bands, but yeah, 1986 is you end 1986 and you're really ending this era of like this experimental punk, um, yeah, and then Henry Rollins goes on to do the Rollins Band, and he's still, like, I think he was in Nashville a few months ago doing Spoken Word. Yeah, so and he's still, yeah. yeah, so he's done, and he's appeared in, like, a million movies and TV shows, and he's I saw him do stand-up one time. Yeah, he yeah, he's on, like, Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. He t- yeah, yeah, I watched that earlier today, actually. I guess that's really it. That's Black Flag. That's it, uh... I don't know. Did we miss anything? Should we have anything oh, I don't else? know. We did a pretty good job. I feel like, yeah, job. this is like a just super long one, but there's so much to talk about. Listen to the, whoever's listening to this, even if you don't like Black Flag, at least say you got to listen to it because it matters and look at it too. It's yeah. a band that deserves looking at. Look at all their just flyers and yeah. like look at what they say and look at what they did and just really dive in because it's, it's not a band that's that there's so many moving parts and they seem to touch almost every aspect of art performance art spoken word poetry music uh fundamentals of lifestyle like all these yeah. kinds of things yeah so Political if you aspects. yeah like i feel like a lot of people especially with streaming it's easy to say i don't like a band or whatever but like i don't know i think it's important to analyze and understand like what art art you don't like can also bring so even if you've never gotten into black flag give it a chance i recommend just like start from the beginning 
and just listen to all of it like yeah, listen to each album all the way through and sit there and like i don't know i don't know how you could not like it it's my favorite punk band just please like. do not tell me you don't like them because you heard a song in urban outfitters yeah or exactly but yeah so chance. hopefully this podcast persuaded you to like black flag and if you already liked black flag i hope that you agree with a lot of this and um yeah. Or maybe listen. you learned something. Yeah. Maybe so you... I know I learned something doing research for this. So yeah, that's uh, this concludes our episode of Bandsplainer. Thank you, Zach, for joining us. Thank you, us. Olivia, for having me. Really and enjoyed it. Yeah, so that is Black Flag Bandsplained. Thank you guys.